Welcome to I Fought the Lore, a podcast where we examine a paranormal tale and try to figure out what gives it staying power, what uh, causes it to stand the test of time. When you go to fight the lore, sometimes the lore wins. And uh, yeah, I mean, if the lore has lost, we wouldn't be talking about it here. So I think it's a case of the lore probably wins in a lot of cases. Yeah, the lore, the lore has to has to withstand a lot of things the test of time social media movies books tv trends uh people yeah people and sometimes certain stories you know they go the distance i've got a story all right that has gone the distance well um that being said my name is ben mcdewey this here is rico sweets from the mean streets and we are here this week to talk about one of my favorite ghost stories, the Berkeley Square Horror. And I love this because this being one of your favorite stories is a story that I have never heard of. So I'm psyched to, uh, to see what this is all about. And uh, this being your favorite story, if I can ask, um, when would you say, like, how old were you when you first can kind of like were introduced to this? I can't even remember. Yeah, okay, so, so this is going way back. So this is going way back. I've always been a spooky story-loving kid, mm-hmm. and I distinctly remember this story from a book. Okay. The book was either called Haunted Houses or just Ghost Stories, and oh. I can see the book in my mind. <laughs> it was hardcover. didn't have a dust jacket when mm-hmm. I found it. It just had this school bus yellow color to the book, okay? And... I used to go downtown to this bookstore with my mom and my nan. And I used to buy Crack Magazine and Mad Magazine. And I loved little books with stories in them. And this was one of the first books that I got that didn't have pictures. Because I was a little kid, right? Mm-hmm. And old enough to read. But I found this book. Wish I could still find it. Because up till probably about five years ago, I know I had this book. Yeah. So I don't know if it got donated to Value Village or something, but it was a collection of stories, ghost stories from all over England, because where do ghost stories come from? All ghost stories pretty much come from England. True. Um, and this is the one that really captured my attention. And I'm not sure exactly what it was that captured that attention. I think it was the fact that it wasn't just a spirit it wasn't just um, a ghost walking through walls. It wasn't one of those typical ghost stories from England where it was the old owner of the house, his spirit will walk through at night. There were a couple different versions of this story, but one of them was this creeping, nameless horror. It wasn't even a ghost in some of the stories. It was this tentacled slimy creature that pulled itself down the halls and I'm pretty sure that's why I loved HP Lovecraft I was gonna say so this is this is some eldritch horror shit going on right here some the the story that stands out most in my mind and the one I found in this book was about a monster hmm it was a horrible smelling foul tentacled thing that came out of the basement came up and got somebody so <clears throat> so never having not no, not knowing anything about the story myself so are, 
so is that is that to say that like is this a story about a cryptid per se then no. or no okay yes both <laughs> all of them this is a story about a house okay so in an area of london called berkeley square now, all right and it is famously number 50 now no this uh being that this is in uh ye old england and England being a very old place, uh, what are the odds, if any, that this place still exists? It does. It does. You can okay. go to it right now. Excellent. I mean, okay. not right now because <laughs> we're in the tin camper out in the wilds of the Mexican desert um, on the run from certain cryptids. But if you went to London, you could go to Berkeley Square. Excellent. Okay. This townhouse style was four floors plus a basement. The top floor is an attic. It is joined, shares walls with other townhouses in the area, but this one gained a reputation. Okay. As being haunted. Nice. Yes. I'm liking that. Uh, that in a in another episode, uh, we spoke about a uh, a haunted building uh, in St. Catharines, and that one also still exists. So I'm liking this. Uh, I'm liking this track record so far for uh, for buildings with. Uh, with a backstory that are you can still go and see to this day. Yep, you got the time, you got the money, you can go visit. So there's a few different versions of this story, and most of them have ghosts in them. But, like I said, the one that I love does not. So are these three stories, are these three different retellings of the same single event, or are there like an extended Berkeley Square universe where these are three different stories from the same property? I am thinking that these are all different stories from the same property, but I like the idea of a shared universe because you've True. got to have a shared universe. <laughs> Maybe the thing in the attic fights the thing in the basement and it comes up to do battle with it at uh, at night or <laughs> maybe they've made friends. These aren't people telling the same story with using different monsters. These are These are three separate sort of things that happen in this one same place. No, no, no. There's also the other thing, too. Oh, okay. All right. So it is a rich tapestry. Ooh, bonus thing. All right. Everything is in this story. Everything. (laughs) So, like I said, it's a four-story townhouse in Berkeley Square. It's in uh, the Mayfair section of Westminster, central London. And the house itself was built around 1750. And over the years, like I said, it gained a reputation. Now, by the mid-1890s, according to various newspapers and magazines, it was called the most haunted house in London. That's and saying a lot. I, yeah, I was going to say, man, this is this is England we're talking about, <laughs> and this is London. You're going to have the most haunted anything in London? Man, you need to start taking out ads and charging admission, uh, which they did not do. Oh, kudos to them. Right now, I think, I think it might be for rent as well. Hmm. For decades, there was an antique bookshop in it. Okay. And they never reported anything spooky. Hmm. But back in the mid-1890s, this was the place to be if you were a ghost or if you wanted to see a ghost. I I apologize if you're going to get into this yet, but the house, you said, was built in 1750? Yep. And, okay, 1750, and then the 1890s. It was is being called the most haunted house. Okay, so because I mean, dealing with such a <clears throat> massive timeline here, I was just wondering. So the building had already been around for like hundred and some odd years. Yep. 
So it's been that way for like 200 years. Yeah, for, oh. for, for quite a long time. Yeah. During this point in history, journalism was just as sensationalistic as it is now, and even more so. Newspapers would completely fabricate stories, and any actual news that was printed came in many cases with a heavy dose of opinion and exaggeration, right? So think the Weekly World News and National Enquirer, for people of a certain vintage. There's nothing like sensationalist journalism to do wonders for a story of, say, a spooky or paranormal ilk. Exactly. And this was a regular occurrence in some places that ghost stories would just make their way into newspapers. From the stories that are told, the place seems to be infested with ghosts. Now, here are a few brief ghost stories. A young girl living in the house with her uncle was continually abused by him. In an effort to escape her torment, she jumped from one of the attic windows to the street below. So her ghost continues to haunt the attic for years, and apparently would appear as either a brown or white mist. Ooh. There was some brown mist in here earlier. Yep, there sure was. And that's where I, I couldn't I couldn't help just kind of maybe laugh a little bit. So, okay, I just have to pause for one sec. Pause away. Here's something that I struggle with a lot of ghost stories, is that there's often a weird difference between who is doing the haunting. A lot of the times, it's the ghost of someone who was abused and yep. jumped out the window. Yes. And yet, in other stories, it's the person doing the abusing. Like comes you comes back as a ghost and continues their yes. abuse so, after death. So it's funny to it's funny to think about what the criteria are for what constitutes someone becoming a ghost. Is it someone that has suffered, or is it someone that has inflicted suffering on others? Because you'd think someone who jumps out a window is looking to more or less escape their situation, only to find themselves just stuck there for eternity. Yep. Which is kind of mean, actually. Yeah. So that really sucks. Yes. You're tormented in life, and then you're stuck in this attic as a ghost. You're like, well, what do I do now? Yes. This is where I was abused, and mm -hmm. this is where I tried to escape, and now I just gotta make cold spots. Yeah. Play with the lights and the faucets. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't seem fair. No. Okay. I should have said this to begin with. There are several stories here. All of them are short. That's the first one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Little girl, brown or white mist in the attic. Okay. I don't know if it's mood mist. So it's brown when she's angry, it's white when she's not, <laughs> maybe the other way around. Uh, but that's that's ghost one. In another story, a young girl was killed by one of the servants of the house. A particularly cruel man killed one of the girls, and the young girl's ghost was reported to haunt the second floor of the house. So okay. now we've got a ghost of a girl in the attic, we've got a ghost of a girl on the second floor. She just haunts the second floor. Okay. Why is she limited to the second floor? What's well, what's the rule here? What's the reasoning behind yeah. being trapped on the second floor? The house is all connected. Yeah. And this is where I, I like this idea of, you know, are these ghosts, if the ghosts are there, are these ghosts aware of each other? Is it a turf war thing? Or is oh, it a... Is colors. It a is it? <laughs> I mean, if you're a brown ghost and you're on white territory, you get the rat-a-tat-tat. -tat. That's just how it works. But then I also wonder now, is it more because these stories are kind of told in a vacuum where the person telling the story about the girl on the second floor, to them, that's the only ghost there. Whereas yeah. the people who are aware of the attic girl, to them, she's the only one there. So 
you're getting overlap where people are talking about different ghosts on different floors, but to them, that's the only ghost they're aware of being there. So you have one place where you have multiple stories overlapping. I have no idea. I, and I'm trying to figure this out, like wondering, is is this like Beetlejuice? You remember Beetlejuice? Oh, yeah. The people of a certain vintage. <laughs> uh, when they tried to leave the house, they went to a claymation version of Saturn. Mm-hmm. And there was the big sandworm. Oh, yeah. Tried to get them. Like, is that why the girl can't leave? the second floor yeah um or does she try to leave the second floor and the other ghosts are like uh, 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 yours is the second floor yeah. you pay rent there so that's story number two okay two girl ghosts separated by a floor mm-hmm. another story moving on to the third story yep a tale of a young man who was locked in the attic for years he was fed through a hole in the door and was never allowed out Now, in some versions, this drove him insane and he died in that room. But in other versions, he was already so violent and insane that he was locked up for the well-being of other people. Mm, Either way, he died and that room probably did not smell good. A lot of brown mist up there. Probably a lot of brown mist. So that's the attic, too. Mm -hmm. Now, there is the ghost of a violent, crazy man sharing the attic room with the brown mist or white mist girl. At one point, there's there's even a semi-famous boogeyman in British culture uh, called uh, Rawhead and Bloody Bones. Hmm. And even he was rumored to haunt this building. Okay. Now, Rawhead and Bloody Bones, from what I remember, was um, kind of generic boogeyman, but I think he was supposed to live under the stairs in crawl spaces in English old manor houses or something like that. Rawhead and Bloody Bones is kind of a weird name for yeah. a single creature. I was just going to ask, it sounds like it's, it sounds like sounds it's, like it's two. two people. Yeah. yeah. But apparently he's been around since the 14th century. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he's just known as Bloody Bones, but Rawhead and Bloody Bones, I've, I've looked it up. There's not a plethora of information on him. But you can find some basics on the idea of Rawhead and Bloody Bones. Interesting. I've never heard of this guy. So that gives you an idea of the cast of characters. Hmm. The cast of ghostly characters for and, this house. And sorry, did the raw, Rawhead and Bloody Bones, did he have a particular part of the house that he inhabited? Or he was just in the house in general? Nah, he was just one of those things that's like, oh, I heard... Rawhead and Bloody Bones haunts that place. Okay. And that was it. Yeah. As far as I know. It's like, nope, there was a girl who was abused, mm-hmm. jumped out a window. Now she's missed. There was a girl who was abused. Now she's stuck on the second floor. There was a crazy man in the attic mm-hmm. who came a crazy man or was a crazy man and is now a dead crazy man. Mm. Um, and that seems to be the general, general stories of that. But... Then there are the interactions people have had with them. Okay. Sorry, I cut you off. No, I just I, I find it funny that in this in this uh, this is one of the few cases where the majority the hot spot of activity is the attic as opposed to like usually the big bad in all these stories is the basement. It's always the cellar. It's always down down in the deep dark dank, right? Yeah. Whereas, so I just I found it interesting that in this case there you know there wasn't anything particularly. Um, spooky or unsettling about the cellar, it seems to be the higher you go, the more more activity. You just wait. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. Um, The attic now, I remember when I was a kid reading a lot of these stories, the attic 
Attics and basements seem to be the most haunted, but I don't know that necessarily a lot of places in Britain had basements, so maybe they do. I don't know. What do I know? Again, I didn't grow up in 14th, 15th, or 18th century Great Britain. I don't know what they had. They had attics. Mm -hmm. But I remember a lot of stories were the spooky attic. Mm -hmm. It's where you stored stuff, and it was all cobwebby, and it was dusty. Whoa, whatever. Um, I wonder when that changed, when it became more of the scary basement. Yeah, I I think it, I, I yeah, I'm not sure about, and again, like you said, I, I don't know if it's a matter of maybe depending on where you lived, the houses around you maybe didn't have basements. So if you needed a dark, dusty, cobwebby, spooky place to, you know, if you're a kid in a big house, you're if there's no basement, you can't be scared of it. Yeah. But if there's an old, dusty, empty attic where no one goes, it's easy for your childlike imagination to be like, well, clearly that's where the ghosts and the monsters are. And why wouldn't they be? Yep. Right? Because I'm assuming that ghosts are old and dusty. Mm -hmm. They come from an old, dusty time. They probably like the old, dusty things. Mm -hmm. They're going to go up. They're going to look through your stuff that you've stored up there. They're going to know everything that you put <laughs> up there. So if you don't want ghosts finding something and finding out about you... Throw that out in the trash dump. Don't it's put true. it in the attic because yep. they're going to hold it against you. True. And if it ever goes to court, somebody's going to call that ghost. I'm going to say, hey, ghost, what did you see? They're going to be like, I saw everything, dude. I'm invisible. They don't know when I'm looking at them naked. <laughs> so <laughs> let's get on to some of the interactions that people have had okay. with the ghosts here. More than one person has reputedly been driven insane by the ghostly roommates who split the paranormal rent in this place. And that's another thing. How does that work? You know, you've got ghostly roommates. Little girl gets the second floor. Why do they have to share the attic? And who's on the third floor? Is the third floor a free-for-all? <laughs> do they have a chore wheel? Who does the dishes? It's true. Who, who does the ghostly dishes? You made some dishes. Why should I have to do your dishes? It's not, it, it shouldn't even be, it's your turn to do the dishes. Why can't I, as a ghost, clean up after myself? If I'm and, old enough to be dead, I should be old enough to do my own damn dishes. And what's do funny is the, the kids, you know, you have this ghost, this house full of ghost kids. And, you know, they all suffered at the hands of slaves. But the slaves are dead. The slaves got dealt the hand where they got to escape this kind of eternal imprisonment in the house. Yeah. Even though they were the ones that did the horrible things. Maybe they just went straight to hell, but maybe the, they're doing the the devil's dishes. Oh, that's yeah. That's the devil's true. dishes are really dirty. <laughs> I mean, it's like they're dirty enough that they never come clean. And and that rawhead guy, I'm sure he does nothing. He wants nothing. He's he probably always finds a way to be like, oh hey, you know, I would love to do the dishes. I gotta just go and do a thing. I'll I'll, I'll get I'll do them when I back when I get back. I, I promise. And then of course he never does. One of the people who was driven insane by an interaction with one of these things was one of the maids. Okay. It uh, doesn't say when it was. Sometime between 1750 and 1890. <laughs> all right? All these things took place between 1750 and 1890. There, there, there's no year for any of them. No. And, okay, I, I mean, I know, I know you're probably going to get into it, but I'm, I'm curious to know what it is about a couple of eight-year-olds that have been turned to mist that is so insanity-inducing? Well, don't know. Maybe it was the insane man. Oh, that's true. So, yep. the maid 
was preparing the attic space for the arrival of her fiancé. <laughs> oh, lucky guy. I'm pretty sure that servants' quarters weren't great, they weren't lavish. I think I read somewhere that, hey, when you were a servant, if you could find a place to sleep, that's where you slept. Mm. If it was under some stairs, that's where you were going to sleep. They okay. really didn't provide quarters for you. So it was like kind of the first Harry Potter movie where he was living <laughs> under the stairs, yep. but not with that much stuff. Uh, okay. So she was getting married. Mm -hmm. Her fiance was coming. She's preparing the attic space. Maybe that's where they were both going to live. I don't know. But at one point, she begins screaming, and the rest of the household rushes up to her aid. Now, this is the family that lives there and the other servants. Mm -hmm. And she was terrified, curled up on the floor, and was repeating, Don't let it touch me. Don't let it touch me. Okay. Scared out of her mind. She was put into an asylum and died the next day. Wow. Now, I love this detail of, of ghost stories because there's always the witness who sees something makes some very vague statements and then is immediately gone. You can't yep. question them any further. You can't get any more information out of them. They're just around long enough to give you some very indirect references to something and then they're dead. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like a dramatic story. Yes. Almost. Yep. almost something yep. like that. Um, so her message was, don't let it touch me. So clearly she's saying it. So I'm guessing this is not a person. Like, this is not a little girl. This is not a crazy man. This is, like, something else then, right? Okay, so, dies the next day in an asylum. Here's what I take from this. She had a scare, and they immediately stuck her in an asylum. Yep. You know, Doesn't it, mention if a doctor was called. No. Doesn't mention any psychiatric evaluation on her. I nope. don't think they, they did that for servants back in the 1800s, 1700s. But, I'm scared. Go to an asylum, and then she died. I do like that it... You know, when you when you mention that she screams, the whole house hears her and comes running. That part right there, I'm like, oh, you know, very rich family with servants. One servant in particular has a panic attack. Maids are fairly expendable and a dime a dozen. The fact that they basically said, Yep, this one's broken, next. Yep. That makes more sense. Okay, now I'm back I'm I'm back in again. That is one of the interactions. Okay. Now, as you had mentioned earlier, were all these different stories or, or some of them iterations of different stories and like uh the same story but they just substituted out different things yeah there's a couple stories that are so similar i can only imagine they started as the same one and over a period of time different tellings they put different people in okay this story also might be three different stories <laughs> so the basics go like this the three different people in this one story in the separate versions, not together in the story. Uh, one of them has to do with a guy named Sir Robert Warboys. That's awesome. That's a pretty sweet name. Warboys. Warboys. Weren't those the uh, weren't those the bad guys in the new Mad Max movie? Weren't they Warboys? They were something boys. Yeah. They kept on kept on spray painting their chrome faces. Yep. And huffing that stuff. Yeah. I don't know if they were Warboys. Maybe they were. I can't remember. I can't remember. Anyway, Warboys is a great name. Warboys is a great name. Yeah. There was also Captain Kentfield. Okay, that's a very British name. I don't know if he was a sailor or if he was a captain in the army, but Captain Kentfield. Okay. And Lord Littleton is the third man. <laughs> these these names are fantastic. Yep. Now <laughs> we're, so we're we're sure these are these were all real people. Your guess is as good as mine, man. I tried to look up Warboys and I found I found Warboys as the name for like a group, okay. but not 
a name of a specific person named mm. Sir Robert. Okay. Now, maybe he was Sir Robert of the War Boys. Maybe. But the things I read was, this was Sir Robert War Boys. Hmm. Cool. Or, the story was about Captain Kentfield. <laughs> or, it might have been about Lord Littleton. <laughs> so, we've got a Sir. So, high standing. Yep. You know, we have a Captain. Yep. Respectable profession. And we have a Lord. Yes. All upper crust. Yes. Okay. So the basics goes like this. After hearing the story of the maid being driven insane, one of these three men decided they were going to visit the house. Each different story has a different guy saying, I am so-and-so, I'm going to go visit this house. Mm -hmm. In one of the versions of the story, it was after a few drinks and on a bet. So dude gets a couple shots in him. He's like, I'm going to go teach this ghost a lesson. He can't scare me. I'm either a sir, I'm either a captain, or I'm either a lord. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to get one over on me. He goes to the house, 50 Berkeley Square, and he demands to spend the night in the haunted room and face the ghost. Okay. This is the room in the attic? This is the room in the attic. Okay, okay. But here's a part of this, this story that all the same in each one. I am a sir, I am a captain, or I am a lord. I'm going to walk up to your house. I don't know you. I've had a few drinks. It's nighttime. I'm going to bang on your door and I'm going to say, I am so-and-so of high standing. I want a room in your house and it better be the haunted one. Mm -hmm. Apparently you could just do that. <laughs> Maybe it has to do with your standing. Maybe it has to do with having a really cool name. I don't know. Maybe he's like, I'm war boys. Do you know who I am? <laughs> war boys, bro. I'm going to fight your ghost. Let's do this. I'm going to fight it. Now, is this because the person who owns the house is also, I'm assuming, of some level of higher standing? And this is sort of like, hey. It was in know, a good part of town. I'm rich. You're rich. You know why I'm here. Like, yeah. I'm on. rich. You're rich. Just give me a room. Yeah. Just just provide for my needs yeah. because we both have money. You know what? There might be someone sleeping up there. Clearly, they don't matter. Just put them in the street. Yeah. Let me sleep up you, there instead. You, you got family in the attic. Nobody cares about your family. I'm no. War Boys, yep. baby. <laughs> Come on. Let war, the War Boys in. War Boys. War Boys. So, either way, whoever, whichever one it was, demanded a room, and they were allowed. The person who owned the house is like, well, I guess so. It's good to have a Lord here. <laughs> or, or a, a war boy, Or a War Boy. So, they're... <laughs> and this part is great. They're shown to the room... And they're given a gun. Okay. To protect themselves from the ghost. In one of the stories, he brought his own gun. I was going to say, because if you are a captain, chances are you, you're armed because you are a soldier. Yeah, but like the other two, here's a gun to stay in the haunted room. Huh, honey, we have company. Get the guest gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somebody wants to see the ghost. Get the guest gun, because apparently in the 1800s, ghosts were susceptible to no, bullets. No, 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 not, not, not the good, no, don't bring up the good guns. Get the guest one. Yeah. Oh, well, no. War Boys <laughs> gets the good gun. Regular <laughs> guests get the guest gun. Yeah. Yeah. War Boys, Lord Littleton. I think Lord Littleton might have brought his own gun. Yeah. I don't know. He, he sounds like the kind of guy who would just bring his own gun. He would bring two. Yeah. Just, just to prove a point, because he's Lord Littleton. Like Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the time people's names kind of reflected their look. Which is why Warboy definitely brought his own gun. Yes. <laughs> Warboys was nothing but scarves and, <laughs> and, and pirate ears on a necklace or something. That's what I'm guessing. 
they get a gun, they're shown to the room, and they're told, okay, go to sleep. Yeah. You do whatever you want. Go to sleep. You're 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 such an important person. At some point in the night, the servant's bell starts going off. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh my god, it's the servant's bell. We better <laughs> go see what's going on. And then there's a gunshot. Whoever it was, whatever happened, whatever one of these three was up there ringing this bell, shoots the gun. The rest of the house runs up to see what's going on. Now, in one story, Warboys was just dead. Okay. Not from a gunshot. Just he dead. didn't accidentally shoot himself. He was just dead. Apparently having been frightened to death by something he saw in the room. Because he had that kind of look to his oh. face that you get when you die of fright. Or, or when you've seen the ring. Or when you've seen the ring. Maybe. Yes. Yes. Yep. Okay. okay. So good visual. Good visual. Uh, so he died. Despite his cool name, this thing scared him to death. So I guess Warboy is, you'd think he's seen some stuff. He ain't seen nothing like that. In the story to do with Captain Kentfield, he was driven insane by whatever he saw in the room. Okay. And, I don't know, four years later ends up killing himself. Hmm. Lord Littleton, though, mm-hmm. kept his cool. Yep. Yep. Slipped back hair. <laughs> not, a, not a hair out of place. Rang the bell. Took aim. Shot at whatever he saw. Yep. Didn't hit anything. In the morning, they found a bullet hole in the vault. I don't know why they didn't find it that night. I'm sure they had candles. But, Lord Littleton, you don't mess with a lord. Two guns Littleton. That's what they call it. No sign of anything else. Like I said, nothing got shot. Lords don't go insane. Yeah. Otherwise, you can't be a lord. <laughs> they don't let you get to that level if you're going to get scared easy. So what do you think about those three stories that might have been one story? A couple of things. Yeah. One... I find it funny that you have an attic with a supernatural threat inside, yeah. and the homeowner's answer is, well, we'll just offer them a gun, which means one of two things. Either it means that of all the people who stayed up there, no one has managed to use the gun successfully for what it's meant to do, yeah. or they give the gun to the person full well knowing it's not going to be effective at all. Yeah. The other thing that I'm going to mention I find interesting is that, like you said before, you know, you have a captain in the military or the Navy or somewhere, you have a lord and you have a war boy. So I can only imagine that the people who would be telling this story to each other are of a much lower social standing than these guys that were in the house. I don't know what the modern day equivalent would be of basically getting your rocks off talking about someone from a, from a social class that, that you don't like having something very bad happen to them. It's like laughing at the misfortunes of certain celebrities when they do or say things that get them some sort of backlash or negative attention. You know, one of your favorite things is to say like, oh, can you believe what so-and-so said or what so-and-so did online, blah, blah, blah. You know, you look at someone who is of certain social standing and when they have any sort of a hiccup or go insane, you know, it's sort of fun to say, oh, that person got what was coming to them because, you know, they're rich and famous and they're a jerk. So it's like Elon Musk buying Twitter and then apparently losing four billion dollars. But he had 16. So at that point, money doesn't mean anything. But you get that jab. Yeah. Yeah. You get that little. Yeah. Serves them right for thinking they could just do whatever. Right. Serves them right for being rich. And in that case, I I would kind of think that the four year window of being insane was more or less someone's 
way of saying, yeah, like, he suffered a long time. Like, he didn't have a pleasant life after this, more or less. So, you know, I kind of like this idea of, you know, lower class people enjoying these stories as sort of like a weird kind of revenge or, you know, kind of a, a justice thing for, like, upper class people that they don't particularly like. You totally see that aspect. Which is probably, too, why the three names are so interchangeable because at the end of the day, the name isn't important so much as that you have someone who a rich person tried to do something that they shouldn't have done. Yep. And they got, they got something. A rich a-hole got owned. Again, Lord Littleton, he's the exception to the rule, but again, if you have different people telling this story, maybe this Lord Littleton was someone that people liked or, or maybe Lord Littleton liked the story and inserted himself in it and controlled the narrative. True. Because that's what you got to do. You got to get out in front of it. You got to control that narrative and make the narrative do what you say. Especially if if there were two men of equal standing who tried and failed, what better way to make yourself seem superior than if you go in and do what they couldn't? Yep. You know? Yep. I can see that. It is a world of possibilities. That basically becomes a dick measuring contest at that point. Yep. Look at how look at how cool I am. Look at how important I am that this couldn't affect me like it did affect that guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Those are the basic stories with the ghosts. Okay. But this is the version that's my favorite. This mm-hmm. is the one with the tentacled creeping horror in it. The story I remember best goes like this. Two sailors on leave in London. They'd been out drinking and started looking for a place to spend the night. In this story, the place was abandoned and the weather was bad. Which, you know, if you've ever heard a story about the Great dark, Britain... The dark this, and stormy night. Well, this is the kind of weather they get. Yeah. Bad. That's all they get. It's always bad weather. <laughs> it's pea soup fog. It's always rainy. And London looks like the dingiest place in the world. Nice and gothic. That's what you want. Especially at that time. Well, yeah. Yeah. And especially for this story. So, they're looking for a place to spend the night. They eventually come across 50 Berkeley Square. It's an abandoned, dilapidated townhouse in a ritzy part of town. <laughs> what better place to break into and spend the night? Yep. What's going to go wrong, right? Slaughter's rights. Yep, that's right. And in a nice part of town. Is the neighborhood even going to let it get that bad when it's abandoned? It's going to make the rest of the place look bad? You've yeah. got rich people who live there. But, you know, they did, apparently, and the soldiers took advantage of it. After making their way inside, they decided to go to the attic. Because why not? Yeah, absolutely. If you're going to break in to a, a dilapidated, old, abandoned place, what better place to sleep off your drink but in the attic? Well, you, you obviously, if you're going into a place you don't belong, you want to make sure you are the farthest from <laughs> a door or a way out. Yep, some sort of escape route if I mean, the cops come. Unless you're going out at a ghost girl style, which doesn't end well. But yeah, I find it funny that it's not like these guys are going to just crash in the main room, stay close to the front door, or near a back door, so that should they be discovered, they're going to make sure they're all the way up, you know, as far as they can get from that front door. It seems like the best idea in the world. Uh, So after making their way to the attic, they break up some furniture and they start a fire in the fireplace. Okay. Right. And they eventually... (laughs) Because smoke from the chimney again... (laughs) Very subtle sign that nobody's there. <laughs> These guys are making all the best decisions. I mean, they had been out drinking. This is what they do. All right? So 
starts to get warm, they've got a fire going, and they start dozing off. Now, at some point in the night, they're awoken by strange noises. A dragging, dripping, slopping sound. As they listen, it gets louder and louder. Closer and closer. As though something wet is dragging itself up the stairs and through the house. It got louder and more terrifying as it dragged itself closer to the door, down the hall to the attic, and they could smell a foul stench of the sewer and rot. Suddenly, a slime-covered tentacle monstrosity pushes its way into the room and attacks them. One of the sailors was able to dash past it and flee the house. Runs downstairs, gets to the front door, runs out into the neighborhood. He starts looking for help. He finds a police officer. He convinces to return to the house with him. The police officer figures, okay, I'll see what all the commotion is about. But when they arrive back at the house, the sailor who had left behind was found dead on the street, surrounded by broken glass, because he had either jumped out of the window to escape, hey! or been thrown out of the window by whatever the creature was. Fourth, fourth story attic girl style. There yep. we go. Did a half gainer off of the fourth floor, man. Again, boom, instant ghost. So, okay, now I'm confused. This slime monster. The surviving sailor described it as some sort of disfigured, mutated, octopus-like creature that, you know, could drive you insane by looking at it. So, if we go back to the stories with the three lords, the family is brought to the attic in the middle of the night by the ringing of the servant's bell. Yeah. Originally, my impression was that creature somehow appeared in the attic with the lord, with Warboy, and that's how you get so freaked out. Now I'm sort of laughing at the idea of this family sleeping soundly through the night while a gelatinous tentacle Victorian hentai monster is climbing the <laughs> stairs outside their bedrooms, and they're sleeping right through it, because apparently this thing's coming from the sewer to the attic. It's not like it's just materializing through a wall in the attic. like yeah. some. It's, it's actually like making its way from downstairs stairs through the hallway so the fact that this tentacle monster would make a beeline for the attic and the person sleeping there completely ignoring all of the tasty human nuggets that apparently are sleeping on the other floors of the house i find it funny that whatever it is that this monster has with the person in the attic specifically you can be sleeping anywhere else in the house it's not even its room this thing no. is coming from the basement yeah and it's passing other people in bedrooms along the way, and it's like, no, no, like, I want, I want the one up, up in the attic, which is hilarious to me now. So here's the thing: the theory about the creature is that at this point, the Thames River is notoriously polluted, mm -hmm. and it might have been an octopus that was mutated, found its way into the sewer system, and then into the basement of Berkeley Square. Anytime it heard a noise, it attacked something that was a threat. Okay, but in this story. Number 50 is already abandoned, mm -hmm. right? The other stories, it wasn't. Maybe it was just a certain situation where this house attracts different ghosts and different things. Maybe the ghosts were long gone by this point, mm -hmm. but these are all different stories, different creatures, different ghosts at different points. Maybe this house is built on a ley line and it just attracts different kind of ghosts <laughs> and mutated octopuses. Mm-hmm. Because why not? Yeah, mutated octopus. I love that. That's great. It's such a departure from everything else that we've talked about so far. It's like you've gone from insane men and brown mist 
to... And a little girl. Yeah, and a little girl to a... What I can only imagine is a like a, a physical, tangible monster yep. that climbs the stairs to the attic, but then once the person is driven insane, descends back down to where it came from. I mean, I would assume there's some kind of trail that you can follow. I mean, probably a stinky, wet, slimy trail. Yes, I love the idea that somewhere along the line, someone was like. The ghosts. ghosts aren't scary enough. No, no. I've got something better. Yeah. 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 And that's why this story sticks with me. <laughs> that's why it stuck out to me, mm-hmm. I think, from this book. Even in a book full of ghost stories, this one stuck out because it was a thing. And it from was a, a creeping horror. And from a storytelling perspective, I mean, I get it in the sense that, like, even from the little the little excerpt you were, you were reading there, this idea that you have something that's, like slowly getting closer and closer and these sounds are getting louder and louder the story of that tentacled monster is that coming right from like the 1890s is that like a more modern take on the same property or is that from the same era as the ghost stories so i believe this is from the same era this would have been i think probably from the later part of the time period that the ghost stories were being told because at this point it said the house was abandoned and legitimately the house was abandoned in the 1890s okay and there is a real story Mm -hmm. to this house Mm -hmm. which might actually shed some light on why people believed it was haunted okay this final story it involves a single man living in the house alone after his fiance left he was set to get married bought this house bought a whole bunch of furniture and after she left him he became a recluse and he was eccentric and eventually he was frightened to death by something he saw in the house as well whereabouts like the timeline wise is this sort of after the house was abandoned or is this just a, like, this, is this is what leads i believe to the house being gotcha abandoned. okay okay as much as i love this lore the, the version with the lovecraftian horror in it it's his last story that's probably got some truth to it okay sort of any of the actual goings on at number 50, this is probably what inspired some of it in the end. There was an eccentric recluse who lived in the house for 15 years with only a couple of servants, and he did let the place become dilapidated, which I'm sure just added to its atmosphere, which would encourage these these ghost stories. Now, the reclusive man, according to an actual census record, was Thomas Mayer, uh, or pardon me, Thomas Myers, and he was the son of a member of British Parliament, okay. who was also named Thomas Myers. But Thomas Jr. purchased the house in preparation for his wedding, supposedly. This might be some fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, as the story goes, days before the ceremony was to take place, Thomas's uh, intended wife left him for another week, and this drove him crazy. He became reclusive, eccentric, he would sleep all day and only become active through the night. He'd walk through the house with a lit candle at all hours of the night and reportedly never went outside, only had a couple servants to look after his needs. It was reported that he kept the interior of the house exactly the way it was when he was told his fiance was leaving him, so carpets were still rolled up, belongings were still in boxes, all that kind of stuff, and he let the house fall apart basically around him. Which, again, would only encourage ghost stories to grow. Dilapidated house, nobody coming or going, and only a single light seen moving from room to room at night. 
I'd be shocked if ghost stories didn't start about this house. Absolutely. That kind of seems really tragic. Mm-hmm. Almost too tragic to be true. Especially with the with the Beyonce leaving and, you know, letting the house like stay in the state that it was at the moment he found out that his fiance was leaving. Never yeah. unrolling carpets, like that, never that unpacking boxes. Idea of it being f- like frozen in time kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can't move past that point. So the story of Thomas as a jilted lover was revealed decades later in a memoir written by a woman who claimed to be his cousin, Lady Dorothy Neville. And she referred to him as being quite eccentric, bordering on lunacy. But again, this sad story really seems to be very close to a Charles Dickens story called Great Expectations and the character of Miss Havisham. Hmm. Same thing happened to her. And we know that Dickens was known for borrowing characters from real-life inspiration and apparently based the character on somebody who lived in central London. Okay. So was this fictional story in Great Expectations based on Thomas Meyer's actual life? I have to say that actually kind of makes me want to read Great Expectations now just to try and see where the parallels are. Yeah, it almost made me want to go on YouTube and find like uh, somebody to tell me what the story was about <laughs> instead of reading it. But was this a fictionalized version of Thomas's story with a gender swap? Mm-hmm. Because the story from Lady Neville, his cousin, seems to suggest that's what it was. Hmm. So what really was the truth about Thomas Myers at number 50? Nobody really knows. She might have been making some of it up. Maybe it was the truth. But we do know from census reports that in 1851, Thomas Myers did appear on the census living in another section of London as a lodger. He didn't appear in the census before that in London. So it's possible that either he wasn't paying any land taxes or his family was rich. They had money. Yeah. He might have been living at another family estate until a certain age. Yeah, because I mean, a politician not paying taxes, I mean, that's that's that just wouldn't be, no. You can't do that because no. all politicians have to lead by example. Yeah. So that way the country becomes stronger because people look up to them. Yeah, clearly. That's why politicians are great. Yeah, so clearly that, clearly that, that theory is out the window because right. I just, I can't, just no, don't. Ignore that. Yeah, no, no. He, was, he, he paid his, he, they all pay their taxes. They, it's just, yeah. it's what they do. It's what they have to do. It's their duty. And this was Great Britain in the 1800s, man. Nobody was taking advantage of stuff. No. Not the upper crust. No. After his father died, he and his sister both inherited his wealth. Now, Thomas acquired number 50 Berkeley Square in 1859 after the previous woman uh, who had lived there died at the ripe old age of 91. Oh, okay. Yeah. Doesn't say she was scared to death by anything in there. (laughs) Just a woman who lived there, had some money, died at 91. Her name, by the way, was Elizabeth Curzon, apparently. Oh. And after Thomas moved in, he lived there until he died as well in 1874. Now, the odd habits of not going outside, sleeping all day, and being awake all night while letting the house fall into disrepair appear to be true. He doesn't appear on the census from 1861 or 1871 either, but a single occupant is declared for each of those years. A servant, a different servant in 1861 from 1871, but the only person who declares on the census in that house. Servant's not affording that house, so there's somebody's servant and they're both cooks. Yeah. So somebody's eaten. And we also know that he was still living there in 1873 because he wasn't paying his taxes and the city council came after him. Oh. Yeah. Wow. 
They, he, he wasn't. No, that, there must be some kind of mistake. I mean, that's that's on record, man. Yeah, that's. Of I, course, he wasn't a politician. He was only the son of a politician. Oh. So after his death in 1874, his estate, which included the house, or at least the lease on the house until it ran out, and a large sum of money were left to his sister, who also lived in London but had her own wealth, mm. didn't need the house. So she actually let it sit abandoned until 1884 when the lease ran it. Okay. So it goes 10 years being abandoned. And again, sitting abandoned in quote-unquote a ritzy part of town, I'm sure the neighbors weren't thrilled to have the place rotting for a decade. But really, what could they do about it? Because yeah. she inherited the lease, had no intention of moving in, and apparently didn't care about it. Yeah. Yeah. Ghost stories galore. That's just, it's, that's like a ghost story tree. You can just <laughs> pick the fruit right <laughs> off of it. So Thomas actually existed. He was eccentric. He wasn't poor. Could have fixed up the house, but didn't care to. Did he possibly have a pet octopus? That was not mentioned, mm. but since he didn't talk to anybody, nobody knows. True? Maybe he did have a pet octopus. I mean, that, that, maybe that's what he was doing at night. That would be pretty eccentric. And maybe he was going from room to room because him and the octopus were playing hide-and-seek. True. Now, after the lease ran out, another couple did move in, and there weren't any stories after they moved in. I, I always like this idea of you know, a property that has a reputation for being haunted. You know, that has a number of stories associated with it of various ghosts and monsters. You know, and then you have a couple come along in like the late 1800s, 1884, I think you said. They buy the house, they start fixing it up, and they sort of have to put out some sort of notice begging people to stop gathering around their front doors and taking pictures, trying to like, you know, oh, hey, this is the place I heard about. Hey, let's go check it out. And he's like, go home. There's nothing here. There's no ghosts. This place isn't haunted. My husband and I have been here for like six months. Nothing's happening. Go home. But, you know, you'll have people, I guess, driving by and horse and buggy maybe taking pictures with the big flash, <laughs> flash bulb trying to, you Gotta know. stop and make sure the house doesn't move for five minutes <laughs> so the exposure will come out for us. Yep. But, yeah, because that's, because isn't that the thing now? Like, I. I think that was the story you used to get out of the address in Amityville and stuff where you have people who have moved into premises that were known to be haunted or has supernatural activity and they're just desperate for the press and the media and, and tourists and stuff to just leave them alone to stop crawling around their property at all hours of the day and night trying to like guerrilla investigate style these properties that are essentially private property now and the people who are in there don't want you there. This couple probably thought, hey, you know, we, we've scored this really nice townhouse in this nice part of town. Needs a little bit of work, but that's okay. And then you've got people showing up, knocking on the door, asking, hey, can we see the attic? Why, why do you want to see the attic? Oh, well, we've heard the stories. No, there's, there's nothing here. Go away. That's funny that you say that because I believe for a while, after the story became more popular again, Supposedly, there was a plaque in the house that said no admittance to the third floor or something, but that might have been for other reasons. Yeah, but then you get the people who are like, oh, yeah, they're just saying that it's a liability thing. Because if you go up there, you'll go insane. Yeah. You know, it's an insurance thing. There's always going to be that, that, that handful of people that no matter what you tell them, they're going to spin it in a way that's like, well, no, they're, they're saying that because it's hot. No, it's not hotter. Yeah, that's exactly what someone who owns a haunted place would say. Oh man, that's so true. So apparently these stories didn't even start until after Thomas moves in. Okay. 
A lot of sources say, oh, it had a history from the beginning, but none of these stories appear in print anywhere until after Thomas begins living there and then after his death. So that includes the, the stories about the little girls who yes. were abused or, yep. you know, okay, okay. Basically, people looked at this dilapidated house and said, why is this dilapidated? Yeah. Somebody came up with a story to explain it to scare their friends or something like that. And some of them are, most of them are, all of them would be considered outright fiction mm -hmm. in general. But the sailor's story, yeah. the one that I love, was actually invented by Elliot O'Donnell. There's no evidence that any of it came from any truth. It was just <laughs> this guy wrote this neat story. Which is great. Dude wrote a great story. Yep. I enjoyed it. It stuck <laughs> with me for X number of years. And I am of a certain vintage, and I've known it since I was a child. And it's nice when you have a story that's very neat and tidy in the sense that, I'm assuming, they don't hunt the octopus down. They don't try to get any kind of justice or revenge for the death of the sailor. It's Can't just get justice from an octopus. It's just a weird sort of... I don't even know if it's like one of those kind of morality tales where it's like, hey, these two guys broke into private property and punished for, for squatting, which is kind of the flip side of a lot of these stories, I think, that come back to just ways of vilifying the rich. Oh, okay, well, these people had money, so they're all a-holes. You know, bad things will happen to them because because they're of the upper crust. So we'll make up stories about bad things happening to rich people. Here is a picture of 50 Berkeley Square. Oh, that's quite nice. Yeah. Again, it's in a ritzy part of town. Mm -hmm. It's a poor story, as you can see. And Look, looks like it has a business on the first floor. This was Mags Brothers Limited Rare Books, Manuscripts, and Autograph. They're not in mm. that building anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's in there, but for decades they were in there and mm. never reported a single thing. Here's kind of an atmospheric photo. Because it's dark, it's at night, Ooh. it's spooky. And there's lights on on the fourth oh, floor. Oh, it's so spooky. Somebody's coming out of that window. Yeah. And landing on that wrought iron fence that's right <laughs> out front. I think in the story that I remember, I want to say that the sailor who died was found impaled on that wrought iron fence. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, because of course he's not just going to die. He has to die horrifically, yeah. right? I'm sure there's a kernel of truth buried in there that there is a 50 Berkeley Square. That's a uh, that's definitely a kernel. It's funny too that you're saying that the book was from the 70s because that decade of the 70s seems to come up a lot with spooky stuff. Ghost stories have always been popular. I mean, there's always a place where you're going to find them, right? The story was certainly popular enough to have a movie made about it in 1947. Really? Yeah, it was called The Ghosts of Berkeley Square, but it was a comedy. Ghosts are condemned to haunt a house until it is visited by the reigning monarch. And shenanigans ensue. The film is an adaptation of the 1944 novel. Wow. Hmm. Okay. Inspired by the enduring reputation of the property at number 50 Berkeley Square as the most haunted house in London. So even in the uh, early 20th century, this was still a popular story. And People we're still talking about this. And I like that the house is sort of the main character in this story. I like that no one has sort of injected themselves into this to try and become the main source of information for this house. I like that this house exists completely in the various stories that are told about it and how these stories connect to each other and how they're different, how they're similar, how they're parallel to each other. You know, you don't have someone who's come out and said, oh, you know, I'm 
the world's foremost authority on this property and the things that happened here and all of the lore and all of the background of this house kind of lives and dies with me and no one can add or modify the story without my express say so. And I think a lot of that comes down to they didn't allow people in mm -hmm. to be doing all that stuff even even when the ghost stories started to appear in print people weren't going into the house and investigating it and looking at it mm -hmm. people were doing this from outside removed from it ghost stories were popping up because there was an old eccentric guy living there yeah it made it into the newspapers but nobody's ever really investigated there from what I've been able to find, there's people still don't let them do it. And I'm wondering if it's a business now or if it went back to being a private residence. I sort of love the cocktease that this place is, where on the one hand, you have them outwardly saying this is the most haunted house in Britain. Yeah. You can't see it. You no. can't come here. We won't let you in. But just know it's the most haunted. Yeah. So I, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know if that makes it more reliable or less reliable. It draws parallels to another episode that, you know, we did where you have some stories that happen within a certain time frame. They're sort of kept insulated by only a handful of people who have told them. And then you have access to the house controlled to the point where no one else can inject themselves into it to add to the lore, to modify it, or to say anything that corroborates or contradicts the stories that have come out previously. Yeah. There's a handful of stories that have been told about it, but it's always the same stories yeah. Yeah. over the it's, centuries. It's, very, it, it's remained very self-contained. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My favorite version of this story is just the one that was straight up fiction, <laughs> but it's great. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. That also comes with the story being very well told. You have a story where a big part of it is this very deliberate, slow-moving threat that's getting closer and closer. And as a kid reading that in a story, that's going to keep you awake at night. You're going to be laying there in bed and you're going to swear you can hear that same oh, yeah. noise yeah. in the hall outside your room. So just from a storytelling point, it works so well. It's just a cool ghost story that exists for the sake of being a cool ghost story. It's a ghost story that takes place in a building where you wouldn't necessarily expect it to happen. This isn't a dilapidated mansion out in the forest. This isn't a ruined castle on the moors. This is a, a place where normal people would normally live. It's got that air of, you know, it can happen to anyone. Oh, it can happen to you. I think part of the reason that it's endured this long without being changed is because it was probably exposed as just being faked so long ago. People knew these stories, but then they also said, well, yeah, but they were also just made up. I can't help but think of Colchester Castle. Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, that was another location where you had someone agree to stay there on a bet but then they were seen waving and calling for help from the roof yes and they wound up i think being admitted to a mental hospital and like dying a short time after yes it's a neat way of measuring out the threat level of a place to yeah. say oh wait I'm, I'm not saying this place is the most haunted but it made robert warboys lose his mind and die with a rictus grin <laughs> so i'd be curious to know I mean, I guess it's a moot point if all three of these guys are fictional. But if Lord Littleton was the only one of the three to, quote-unquote, survive a night at 50 Berkeley Square, I guess it doesn't really matter what he went on to do afterwards. 
I guess in a story like this, nobody wants to hear about the happy endings, right? No one wants to hear about about a man who was able to withstand a night in Berkeley Square and live to tell about it. Once you've done your bit, you just fade into the background. No one ever wants to hear from you again. It's yep. not like it's the not most like notable no, thing you did was survive Berkeley yeah, Square. If you now, existed, shut up. Yeah, because like <laughs> that's that's all anybody cares about. They don't want to know what the people who lived through it. They want to know about the people who were driven insane. Yep. and and were just their minds were melted. Usually, when you hear a tagline like that, right, the most haunted, you are expecting to find a wealth of pictures, of video, of EVPs. And granted, I haven't ever looked for any of this, so I don't know how much of this may or may not exist. I just feel like for a place that's claimed as the most haunted in Britain, the fact that I've never heard of it, I find very interesting because this seems like the kind of place that should be amongst the most talked about places in paranormal literature like this should be up there with places like the amityville house or oh the conjuring um, house the, was it Ray, raymond hall where i remember seeing the very first picture of the the woman in white um, oh walking down the stairs yes that was a double exposure of a statue of the virgin mary Really? Yep. God damn it. Well, there goes one of my first paranormal genesis moments of seeing something I couldn't explain just brutally ripped away from me. Sorry, man. If my favorite story <laughs> turned out to be a fake, your favorite story gets to turn out to be a fake, too. One of the ideas that I remember thinking about before we started doing this podcast, one of the inspirations I know for myself was always that I would listen to other podcasts and they would talk about these stories. And there would be certain details or anecdotes or, you know, other references that I'd be just shaking my phone saying, you have to mention this. You have yeah. to lie. It's so obvious. Why are you mentioning this? Of course, you're like, well, to get frustrated at other people for not doing something that seems so obvious to you, yep. the only answer is to just do it your damn self. Yep. So here we are. Hi. Um, <laughs> that being said, one of the things that I would be completely remiss, and if you out there are thinking what I'm thinking, you're welcome is the interesting parallel that has come up more recently in this idea of people being quote-unquote trapped somewhere with something that drives them crazy. And it's the trope you hear from these various haunted prisons where you have a prisoner in a cell who is reported to be locked in a cell with whether it's a shadow, whether it's glowing eyes, the prisoner winds up being found the next day, you know, with this crazed look on their face and they're dead, probably a fright. But the same kind of idea where you have people who are trapped somewhere with something that essentially scares them to death. Yes. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that I brought that up because that is something that kind of shares a lot of beats with the stories that we're talking yeah. about. Another reason I think the nameless horror of 50 Berkeley Square sticks out is because it's one of the stories where people are dying of fright. A lot of other stories that, oh, I was, I was terrified and I ran screaming from the building, or this person saw this and, and left and never came back. I'm not going to say there's no other stories where people die of fright. But this story seems to stick out more because so many people associated with it do die of fright. That's not the predominant thing in a lot of ghost stories. 
Yeah, and it's it's handy for a story like this, especially when you're trying to build up a creature and trying to make it seem as frightening as possible. The best way to do that is to have witnesses but not have witnesses. You have people who have interacted with something but then have clearly passed away or made it impossible for anybody to get any sort of additional yep. information or detail out of them. So that all you're left with is... They had a broken mind yeah, and they like, died in a cell. Like, but it's this idea of someone encountering the unknown. You made the, the Lovecraft reference earlier. That was his whole thing, right? Yep. It was, was taking these normal people who would encounter something that they can't explain. Yep. And it would do certain things to their mind. It wouldn't always kill them, but it would make them see things in a certain way or see things differently. And I like that idea of keeping things unexplained, keeping lots of loose ends, not tying everything up in a nice, neat bow. So, well, you like the story? I love you the story. It was a good story. Absolutely. Unfortunately, it's not a real story, as it turns out. However, I'm sure there's tons of people who still believe it, because there always are. Well, but that was a fun, nifty story. In ghost stories, you don't often get that evolution from standard haunting type stuff to mutated octopus. But I guess it's important to note, too, that the nameless horror was exclusively sourced from a work of fiction as opposed to being based on any of the pre-existing you yeah. know, stories, right? Because even, even I made the mistake of drawing parallels between this giant, slimy, squidgy monster crawling around through the hallways of the same building where the families lived at the time of war boys and stuff. So, uh, so Rico, tell me. Uh, in the case of the nameless whore, if you, if you were to say that you fought the lore, would you say the lore won? I would say in this case the lore definitely won. It is a fairly well-known story, and even as much as people realize that these stories were just fiction, and they cropped up around an eccentric old man living alone in a house that really inspired these stories, people are still talking about them. Some people, I'm sure, still believe them, and that means, in my mind, the lore is one. People are still talking about it. It's still in the conversation. I think the lore won in this case. You think the lore won. Officially... The lore has won. So, I'm going to say good night, everybody. Thank you for joining us, and uh, yeah, join us again for our uh, our next adventure into the paranormal, or the spooky, or the creepy, or whatever we choose to do. Join us next time. Yes, and we hope that you've enjoyed this. We hope you've had fun. We hope that you will come back. Keep it spooky, San Diego. Keep it spooky, San Diego. <laughs>